I'd like to welcome to the PodMD studio Dr. Ali Kalhoa. Ali is an Australian-trained orthopaedic surgeon. He specialises in the management of complex shoulder, elbow and knee-related conditions and in arthroplasty. Ali has his private practice at Greenslopes Hospital and Mater Springfield Hospital. He also has a particular interest in reconstructive and trauma surgery. Today we'll be discussing the topic of rotator cuff tears. We do hope you enjoy this podcast, but please remember that the advice here is of a general nature and is not intended as specific advice about any given patient. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the doctor, not PodMD. If you do have a patient on whom you require specific advice, then please seek that advice from a colleague with appropriate expertise in the area. Ali, welcome back to the PodMD studio. Thanks for recording another podcast with us. Thank you very much for the opportunity. You're more than welcome. Today we're talking about shoulder replacements. The first question I have for you is this. When we talk about shoulder arthritis, what actually causes arthritis in the shoulder in the first place? So when we're dealing with the shoulder, we need to think about the shoulder joint as of a shoulder that has a soft tissue component called rotator cuff or the, mes- uh, the muscles around the shoulder and the bony component of that, which is a glenohumeral joint. And the causes of arthritis could be totally different in the, which can be initiated from the muscle or can be initiated from the bone. Other way to think about it is as a primary reason or a secondary reason. The primary reason could be simply a osteoarthritis. A secondary reason that can lead to osteoarthritis can be conditioned like avascular necrosis, rheumatoid arthritis and infection or a charcoal joint, chronic shoulder dislocation or otherwise known as neglected dislocation and fracture also can cause osteoarthritis. These are the causes that basically come into play when the glenohumeral joint is involved. On the other side, as I mentioned earlier, we need to think about the muscles that are moving our shoulder. So if those muscles being torn off and hasn't, hasn't been able to function properly for a long time, then we get a different type of arthritis which called rotator cuff arthropathy. I will touch base on that further during the talk and it's important to differentiate these two conditions from each other. Okay, so Ali, how do the two conditions present then? So just like any other uh, joint, mainly pain with activities is the main drive for the patient to present to us. Limitation of the range of motion is also one of the very first findings in this disease. Mainly the external rotation of the shoulder will be limited. There are only three conditions that cause limitation on external rotation. One of them will be arthritis of the shoulder. The other one is frozen shoulder. And the third and last one is a neglected posterior dislocation. So in my book, if someone has a limitation in external rotation and abnormal x-ray finding for arthritis, it's a very clear cut what we need to do. Again, stiffness of the joint is another finding. Some people have swelling around the joint. Some may have tenderness around the joint. And very common finding again is grinding and catching feeling with the movement because of the joint destruction. Thank you. That's very interesting. 
So we hear a lot about people needing hip replacements, for example. You hear about that all the time. But what about shoulder replacement? Is it actually a similar procedure? Very interesting question. The answer is yes and no. In terms of replacing, yes, we are still replacing a joint, but the way the shoulder work is quite different from hips and knees. In terms of the bony contour of the shoulder, we have a very shallow dish, which you can compare it to the basically a golf tee. So the constraint around the shoulder replacement is totally important, sorry, totally different from a knee and a hip replacement. We have greater range of motion in the shoulder. And to have a successful joint replacement on the shoulder, we require to have those soft tissue that moving our shoulder. And again, as I mentioned, the glenoid joint itself is not as constrained as a knee, as a hip joint. And there are factors play roles in successful finding, a successful uh, outcome of the joint replacement, like intact and functional rotator cuff. Again, going back to the subject of cuff arthropathy, if those cuff muscles are deficient, then no matter what you do, what surgical technique you use, you cannot rely on those ones to move your shoulder and get the good results. And that's when the concept of reverse shoulder arthroplasty comes in play, which is basically changing the geometry of the shoulder joint from a ball and a socket to a socket and a ball. If you think about the normal anatomy of the human body, at the top of the humerus, we have the ball shape, which is going to the dish-shaped glenoid. So if we don't have the muscle to move it, we need to reverse that. We need to put a ball into the sca scapula and a socket into the part, top part of the humerus, and we rely on other muscles, which is deltoid muscle, to move the shoulder for the patient. So that's why, again, going back to my first comments about the mechanism of the injury, it's quite important to differentiate what is causing the problem. Okay, so it sounds like there are actually two main types of shoulder replacement. Yes, correct. So we can either do what calls anatomical total shoulder replacement or a reverse shoulder replacement, which is, again, changing the geometry of the bone. And the second one, which is a reverse, is mainly useful for the condition that the muscles around the shoulder are not functional anymore. Or the condition like fractures, they don't do well with the normal anatomical shoulder replacements. So in those cases, we prefer to change the mechanism of, in, uh, mechanism of work and rely on the other muscles to have pain relief and shoulder function. So Ali, when do you offer one patient a total shoulder replacement and another patient a reverse shoulder replacement? So the main indication will be pain and difficulty with the day-to-day -day activity and night pain. We do emphasize on night pain a lot because it's mainly one of the uh, complaints of the patient and we know that by the time patient could get to that stage, they are quite desperate. Inability to control the, the symptoms of the patient with non-operative measures like non-opioid analgesia and injection is another indication for me. So again, in my book, I need to make sure that patient has actually tried non-operative management and they earn their surgical treatments rather than jumping into the surgical treatment. Thanks, Ali. So what are the latest advances in shoulder replacement surgery? 
Yes, definitely there is. I can't really tell you how many years ago, but I would say around five or six years ago, most of us would carry on based on the 2D dimensional image, which is the plain X-ray and proceed the surgery. Maybe some of us were doing CT scan, but these days we have very accurate software that is based on either CT or MRI. It actually gives us a lot of information in terms of where we should put our implant, whether we need to use any bone graft or any augmentation in order to achieve the best function. And most of this software can even test the range of motion and tells us if we put this particular implant in that particular position, what do we expect to get at the end of this procedure? So that's basically the next level in shoulder replacement surgery. Ali, thank you. That's been a very interesting uh, overview of shoulder replacement. Just to wrap up the podcast today, what are your three take-home messages for our PodMD listeners? Excellent point. So the take-home message would be the cough arthropathy is different from arthritis of the shoulder and the surgical treatment of that is different as well. So if your patient has arthritis or cough arthropathy and they have ongoing pain and functional difficulty despite the trial of non-operative management with the physio injection and analgesia, there are very reliable procedures that we can do to help them. With the literature showing the survival of those implants at 10 years time is 93%. So at this stage, we are quite uh, certain that these implants are performing very well. And the next take home message is this type of surgery or any joint replacement, especially in a non-weight bearing joint is designed to relieve patient pain and any extra range of motion that comes with it. I would tell my patient is a bonus that you may or may not get with this procedure. So the range of motion or lack of range of motion per se without the pain in my book is not an indication to do a surgery and I'll only do it if the patient have retractable pain. Ali, thanks so much for that information today. I know there are a couple of other podcasts that you're going to be recording in the coming months, but thanks once more for coming into the PodMD studio and telling us about shoulder replacement surgery. Thank you very much for the opportunity and looking forward for the next podcast.